Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us to come here and worship you. Thank you, Lord. We say we're two or three gathered in your name. There you are right in the midst. Thank you for this beautiful church family that you've given us, Lord, and this time, this season in our lives to grow and be discipled in your word. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to receive your help, the healing everywhere we hurt, empowerment through your word and promises, your love and prosperity for every area of our life that we might be blessed to be a blessing and help us to go and help others with that same help we've received from you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Matthew twenty three twelve. I've been talking about all the promises of God and we've covered that pretty well, although we could just keep on going forever and we probably will. Even after this world is gone, keep talking about those wonderful promises. Over 8,000 or so in this book, like we said, and, and they're all yours. Yes and amen for you in Christ. You find it, you find the one that applies to your situation and circumstance, or for the one you love or the one you're praying for, even for a stranger, and you stand on it, you speak it, you believe it, and it will come to pass. Jesus said, believe that you have what you prayed for when you pray, and you shall have it. Amen. You know, there are a lot of spiritual laws in place as well. And we touch on those sometimes because they're just as important. Because we have to believe the whole word. Amen. There are lots of natural laws in place. And we use examples. Jesus always spoke in parables using natural things to describe spiritual truths. And I use the example of electricity a lot. You know, we know that it has certain properties to it. And we know that it has to be handled with care. Amen. And there, no one would really argue with a farmer who talks about agricultural laws that are in place for the soil and the seed and so forth for farming. And the same is true in the spiritual realm, the law of sowing and reaping. And God has said that will never change as long as this world exists. The world may call it karma. Correct them gently if you can. It's not karma. It's the law of sowing and reaping. God established that. And it will always be here. You get what you sow more than you sow later than you sow. Some of us have sowed some bad seed in our lives, lots of it. The good thing about being a Christian is that you can believe for crop failure with some of that seed. (laughs) There's another law, and it... Yes, sir. It applies to today as much as ever in history and we need to be aware of it because all of the correction will start first in the household of God. Amen. Amen. 
Matthew 23, 12. It says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That is fact. That is a spiritual law that cannot be undone. Whoever walks in pride will be humbled. We've heard we've heard people say pride comes before fall. How many times have you heard that? Maybe even said it. A lot of us said it. You know the word doesn't say that. If you look back in Proverbs chapter 16, And verse 18, it tells you that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Yours might read a little differently, but I guarantee it says the same thing. Turn the page to Proverbs 18 and verse 12. It says, Before destruction a man's heart is haughty, (laughs) but humility comes before honor. So, pride and humility, two sides of the same coin. One brings God's blessing and favor and exaltation. The other brings correction or destruction depending on how far you go with it. Pride was the first sin ever committed. And you think of Adam and Eve and the garden and you think, yeah, the lust of the flesh, lust of the uh, eyes, the pride of life, But that wasn't the first sin. The first sin wasn't even created here in this world. It was, or committed, it was in heaven against God and it was done by Satan. And uh, I just want to read a little bit about that to you. If you will, it's sort of hidden in type and shadow in the Old Testament. They didn't talk about Satan a lot. He was mentioned in the book of Job. He was mentioned a couple of times, but... I've told you before that and talked about him a lot because there wasn't anything they could do about him. You've been given all authority by Jesus in the name of Jesus as a Christian over all the works of the devil. Before that, they didn't have it. Job didn't have it. It's important that you understand you have a better covenant with better promises. Amen. But in Ezekiel chapter 28... There's a description of of this verses uh, starting at the first verse. If I can find the right chapter, Ezekiel 28. The word of the Lord, Ezekiel chapter 28, starting in the first verse. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, Thus says the Lord God. 
because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, little g, I sit in the seat of gods and the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. You are indeed wiser than Daniel, no secret is hidden from you, but your wisdom and your understanding you have made by your wisdom and understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. But your great wisdom, by your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you the most ruthless of all nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will, will you say, I am a God, in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God? In the hands of those who slay you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. You were the signet of perfection. Now, you need to understand he's talking about Satan now. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. A cherub is not a little fat baby angel with a bow and arrow for Valentine's Day. A cherub is a mighty warrior angel. I placed you, you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade... Literally translated, you're walking to and fro. You were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuary. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Turn over to Isaiah now. Should have said back. Yeah. <laughs> Isaiah 14. Verses 12 through 15. 
how you have you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. Again, Satan. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, and watch this, I told you the number for grace is five, right? Look what he said five times. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And then he fell from grace. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Satan was a a beautiful... He was the head of the praise and worship team in heaven. He was right in the presence of God. Sin was found in his heart. He began to believe his own press about his beauty and how great he was. And he just thought, well... God's no, not so special. I'll just take over. That was the first sin. He was cast down to earth. And for a time he's in control of this world. Just till Jesus comes back though. Our conquering king. This time... When we see Jesus, he'll be what the Jews thought he was going to be the first time. And he'll be here to do just that and take names. Because of what happened in heaven, God created man to fill a need that he had for family. One, for fellowship, and two, for dependence upon him. Now, the enemy is here, and he hates you because you're created in the image of God, someone whom he will never, ever get to be in the presence of again. And he knows his end, And he knows his time is coming. And he is bitterly desperate, angry, filled with hatred for you and all mankind. And his his ways are, he's a liar and he's a trickster. And he comes disguised as an angel of light. Look around. This, this, this world during these times and you'll see that his allure is not hey I'm Satan I'm here to kill still and destroy no I want to give you some things I want to come on out here I'm your friend come on all the way out to the edge of the limb and then he's going to leave you hanging he'll take you further than you want to go charge you more than you want to pay and keep you longer than you want to stay So he's here now, and his job, his job, first of all, in his mind, Satan's, is to keep you from ever confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. 
If it can keep you sitting on the bar stool or in the drug house or whatever, it's okay. Or in Hollywood or whatever. He'll give you some things. Keep you from ever naming Jesus as your Lord. But once you do, he just switches gears and he redirects his focus and tries to keep you from ever serving or doing any real good. And he really wants to turn you back and turn you away from God. He wants to tempt you. His his three temptations are to to question to have you to question God's word, to discredit God's word in your mind, um, to question God's goodness again, to discredit God, and third to offer equality with God, just like He did with Jesus. I've been given all of these rounds. He took Him up to the highest place, and He goes, "I give it all to you if you just bow down and worship Me." Jesus didn't fall for it, and neither should you. You should just answer with the word, just like he did all three times. But we know that corruption did enter into mankind. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, creation, into which entered corruption. The number four, number for man, we entered into our fallen state. Nothing we could do about it. Stuck on four. I always say. Thank God for the five. Grace, a redemption, came through Jesus Christ. We couldn't fix it. God had to settle it. He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus stooped lower. Stooped lower. He humbled Himself. He gave us our perfect example. And paid the price for us. Hebrews chapter 2. Way back toward the back. Just before James and Peter. Hebrews chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15. He says, Since therefore the children, that's you, Share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, that's us. 1 Peter 2.24, by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Familiar scripture that we use from Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2. But the whole scripture says this, He Himself, Jesus, bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, and by His wounds you have been healed. Past, perfect, present tense. Look at the third chapter, the 18th verse, since we're in Peter. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed in the spirits in prison, 
because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. He went down into the depths of the earth and he preached to those who had gone before, even down in hell. Ephesians 2.6 I'm just trying to connect all the dots here with Scripture. Ephesians 2.6 And raised us up with Him and seated up us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Jesus came, humbled himself, coming in the likeness of man. Born in a feeding trough. Allowed himself to be mistreated, persecuted, beaten, spit on, slandered. Stripped naked, hung on a cross, destitute, suspended between heaven and earth, temporarily rejected by both for you and me. So that we would never, ever be separated from God again if we would just receive that free gift by faith. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us to live upright and godly lives in this present evil age. Oh, that all men would accept it and receive it. It's God's will that all should be saved. That none should perish. But that all should come to repentance and, and know Him. But they won't. Unfortunately. But we don't know which ones will and which ones won't. So our job is to tell everybody. I can't stress enough the importance of the Christian's testimony. There's two things that he's called us to do before he ascended to heaven. Go into the whole world and preach the gospel. Preaching is a tool that he's given to some of his servants. To proclaim the veracity of the word to the world. That's not for all believers, I don't think. But your testimony is. They've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Your story is the greatest sermon someone will ever hear. If you'll tell it. What He's done for you. Philippians 2, we're still talking about pride and how God hates it and how it brings destruction upon His people. I'm giving the example of how Jesus humbled Himself. He's always our example when we need one. A good example of something, we should always look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Philippians chapter 2 Verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeliness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself in obedience to God. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And you know, everyone will confess Jesus as Lord, but for some it will be too late. Once you see him in person, it's too late. Unless he visits you here in this life, which is quite possible. But if you see him at the great white throne judgment and you have yet to call him Lord, it will be too late. We will be judged by how we handle the Son of God in this life. Based on what He's done, what He had to do, how the Father had to temporarily bankrupt heaven for our salvation. Don't you think He's just in being a little perturbed for someone who rejects that perfect sacrifice? And just says he was a good man. Maybe one of the ways. Or if that works for you, fine. But this is how I was brought up. Or He didn't come and die like that to be one of the ways. I guarantee you. Jesus is the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. <clears throat> I want to read, well, you know, the church has sort of done a little bit of a roller coaster ride over the centuries. There was uh, the dark ages when they didn't even have this, you know. Folks like you and, and I, we weren't even allowed to have it. It wasn't even allowed to be written in English. They were dependent upon what they were told. Some of the beautiful stained glass you see from those old times in the murals, those, that's where they got their gospel. They were deceived on many occasions. That's why the, the great crusades and all that that the Muslims hate Christians for. That wasn't God, that was the devil. Deceiving God's people yet again. But when the church needs restoration, it always has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. God's not telling us to straighten up or else. He loves us. He doesn't love you because you're lovely. He loves you because of your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. When He sees you, He either sees Adam... The fallen man, 
fallen seed or he sees Jesus, pure gold. You've been credited, your account has been credited with all that Jesus has done. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 2 talks about the day of Pentecost. The 50th day after Jesus was raised raised from the dead when the church began. I'll just read, I guess, a couple of verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as if fire appeared to them, and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They all began to speak in tongues and they all began to prophesy and to speak in unknown languages to them, which were known languages to people that were gathered there in Jerusalem from all different nations. And they're like, how are these, how are these ignorant men, basically, uneducated men speaking our dialect and our language? They're talking about the wonders of God in, in languages that we understand and they, they, don't, they don't know. And then some said, oh, they're just drunk. And then Peter got up and preached a sermon. He says, hold on, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Yeah, wouldn't have mattered to me at one point in my life. But nevertheless, but what he did is he told them, he said, what you hear is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. In Joel chapter 2, he takes, um, he takes these uh, from Joel chapter 2, verses uh, 28 through 32, if you want to document that. But anyway, this is what it says. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Peter preached a sermon and 3,000 were brought into the kingdom of God that day. The day that the, the age of the church age of grace and truth began. The day that the church began, 3,000 were added. If you'll remember, at the foot of Sinai, the day the the law was given, 3,000 were killed. He undid the curse of the law. Jesus, nailing that with which the enemy used to accuse you to the cross. So now when he accuses you, all you have to do is say, yes, yes. Thank you, Lord. That qualifies me for grace. 
That qualifies me for grace. Over the centuries, the church has been through rocky roads. We're in some troubled ground now. The church is divided. I always tell people, you better get it together because God, Jesus isn't coming back for a harem. He's coming back for a bride. And he called for unity. He said, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. Your love one for another. The Bible goes on and on and on about how we're supposed to treat the fellowship of believers. Jesus went so far as to say, that's really who your family is. One day when his mom and brothers and sisters came looking for him, and he was preaching in a house, he said, who is my mother and brother and sisters? Those who hear the word of God and do it. One person said, I want to follow you first. Let me go bury my father. He said, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. You think Jesus is just an uncaring and mean person? No. He's just getting their priorities straight, you see. This, these people you'll, you'll be with forever. Everyone that really knows the Lord will be with forever in heaven. That's your family. Now, does that mean you're going to mistreat your real family or people? No. God says a man who won't provide for his family is, is not good. So, and even hanging on the cross, he provided for his own mother. But look, notice what he did. Because he had brothers. James was his brother. He wrote the book of James. And so was Jude, his half-brothers. At the time, they were unbelievers. When Jesus hung on that cross, he gave his mother to John, one of his disciples. Woman, this is your son. John, this is your mother. Take her in that from that day on he took her into his home and Mary lived with John for the rest of her life. Of course he was gone for a while. <laughs> the island of Patmos. They tried to kill him like they did the rest of the disciples. They said they boiled him in a hot substance, probably oil, but they said he was so anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit he swam around in it like a refreshing bath. In his old age, before he went home to be with the Lord, he, the history says that he was in the congregation in one of the cities of the, the early churches, and they asked him to come and speak, and he walked slowly all the way up to the front, and his sermon was this, love one another. And he went and sat down. We need restoration, reformation in the church. We need a work of the Holy Spirit. And we need for believers to be praying for that like never before. Inviting Him in to allow His work to be done, God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? We pray that prayer, but we really need to start thinking about it. And we need to invite the Holy Spirit to do what He does. It's not something we can handle on our own. 
speaking of the church at large. In 1904, the Azusa Street revival broke out in Los Angeles, California, and fire fell on that place just like it did on the day of Pentecost, and it sparked a fire uh, in the Pentecostal uh, church and all it went from there to all believe it or not all denominations at the time and then began to spread around the world into Europe into all the nations and even into ca- ca- the Catholic Church we believe it or not people will say well I escaped from Catholicism and became a Christian no it God will find you right where you are no matter what in spite of your situations and circumstances, if you're really searching for Him. And so, the Holy Spirit permeated believers' environments all over the world in the church at that time. And it's happened other on other occasions as well. But that's what we need now. We talked about the, the farming and the things like that. In the, in the, in the Word, rain is always... Uh, type and shadow of the Holy Spirit and the latter rain is what is was poured out on the day of Pentecost and that is what is continuing throughout this church age and we need more we need more of the rain we need more of the fire of God and it has it's going to get to a place where I, I heard one minister describe it in a way and he's passed on now but he he said, it, it will, the church will become like in the day of Moses when he went back to Egypt to deliver the Hebrew slaves out of bondage. Uh, and he had nothing but a stick. And he threw down his staff and it became a serpent. And so did the magicians that were under Pharaoh. And they threw down a couple and they became snakes. So this was Satan at work. But God's staff from Moses killed those other snakes, you see. And he says, this minister said, it will become like that. Well, the church will be so divided and see the enemy comes to confuse. Confusion is not of God, it's of the devil. And he's... And he's confused a lot of people even into believing because people people have gotten to where if they don't like like if they don't like what they hear here today, they'll go find a place that says what they do like. And says what they that whatever ungodly thing that they've built their life around and it would be too hard to uproot that, they'll find a place that agrees with that. They've just torn that part out of their Bible, or they said that it's God's evolved or something like that, and they have to get to a place where they don't say like it does in, uh, in the Bible that in 2 Timothy 3.16 that, that all scriptures God breathed. They, they can't believe that. They have to believe it's just an old book written by men. They can't believe that it's a book written through men by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, they would be in trouble, you see. But there will come a time when all of God's people need to be adorned with all the gifts of the Spirit walking in power and victory and love, and it'll be like, well, I'm. A, this is what God says, or you are the nonsense we saw on television the other night. I didn't see it, but I heard about it. And believe me, that was not God; that was the enemy. 
Eternal life matters. Eternal life matters. God is not impressed with this flesh. We're supposed to love all men. And, you know, the enemy didn't like it because this country has been getting very close to the dream of Dr. Martin Luther King where all men are just judged by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. The devil didn't like that. So he brought more division, more bitterness, more anger and hatred, you see? It's foolishness. People need to get back to looking up and looking inward because pride brings destruction. Don't worry when you look around and it looks like, well, these people do whatever they want and they get away with it. Can I tell you that God told the children of Israel every every seventh year to let the land rest. Don't grow anything. And we've learned that that's a good thing for the soil. They can tell you that over at Texas A&M and the Agriculture Department. It's good to let it rest every now and then so that it doesn't lose its ability to produce. And they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And so they were, and they let it go for a long time. And God sent them into exile into Babylon for 70 years to be slaves. He took them off of the land to give it its rest. And and it was 70 years of weeks. So in other words, they had let it go for 470 times 7, 490 years. You think if you've been doing getting away with something for 490 years, you might think, hey, no big deal. No, God doesn't miss anything. <laughs> that land got its rest. This latter rain that God is pouring out is for the harvest, and it's twofold. And I'll just finish here, but look at James chapter 5. Verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters, <laughs> until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. The early rains, the late rains. You see that? You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And it goes on to tell us about how to be patient in suffering. And, and I think we touched on some of that recently. And staying in faith, which we always talk about. But don't think that God is not doing anything. Or that He doesn't know how to handle this <laughs> That he's standing white knuckle on the stair banisters of heaven saying, oh, he's not worried. 
He's already made provision for all of this. And this latter rain that's going to be poured out and is being poured out by the Holy Spirit, it's all about the harvest. It's all about the harvest. God is, it's twofold. He's pouring out the Holy Spirit, the latter rain, on the church first to bring new life and nourishment to the church, to revive the church. Revival is coming. And you need to be praying and believing with me for that. It is coming. And you can either believe it and receive it or doubt it and do without it. But I want to be a part of it. And I intend to be. And I'm going to continue to believe and watch and wait. Because God still has more to do. He's doing it first for the church. For his people. So the new life. The nourishment from these latter rains. For the church. So that the church can then go out. And like it or not. Give the same help that they've received, the same nourishment, the same strength, the same prosperity, the same love and peace and joy. They can go out and preach and tell their testimony to the sick and dying world. And that they might receive the same refreshing and growth so that they can be part of the harvest too. Otherwise, They will be bundled up and thrown into the fire. And if your heart is for anyone to be part of those that the sickle is put to and that they are gathered up and thrown into the fire, then you need to get that right with God. Because that's not supposed to be how Christians feel about anyone. God is love. And so are you. And if you think that you don't love people because you don't feel love, that's okay. Love's not a feeling, it's a choice. Same as forgiveness. Just get it all squared away because you want God to hear your prayers and to answer them. And you have to have your heart right first. So it all starts at the household of God. Amen. Amen. Be believing for a fresh dose of the latter rains for revival. The presence of the Holy Spirit. So that we can go and minister to this hurting, ugly, evil, dying world. That's the best thing that can happen to the worst person you know is that God get a hold of their heart just like He did you. And you're going to have to go and share that testimony with somebody. You know, there's some that just better off they don't talk about being a Christian. Don't be one of those. You know what I'm saying. There's some that live in a way that their testimony about God based on what people have seen in their lives would only hinder the work of the Lord. (laughs) 
Remember what old Gandhi said when he got out of the prison and he had read the Bible and he believed and he wanted to become a Christian and he went to that church over there and they wouldn't let him in. And he said, I would have been a Christian, but then I met one. Sometimes it's hard to love people that are that don't like you. <laughs> But Jesus said, if you're only good to them that are good to you, what reward is in that? That's what the world does. There's nothing supernatural about that, you see. The Christian life is a supernatural life. We're not supposed to do it in our own strength. Thank God. Because if we had to... <laughs> well, nevertheless, go out and share your testimony with somebody... Help them. Help them to believe. They can't hear. They can't believe unless they hear the truth. I talk to people every week that never even heard about Jesus. Not properly. That's right here in this country. There are many nations in this world that don't even know who Jesus is. But there are people right amongst us that don't even know who he is. They talk, you talk about church, you talk about being a Christian or whatever, they say, ah, yeah. And the only thing they can think of is the Ten Commandments. Or I'm a good person. And it's all in the comparison thing. They think that Christianity is about behavior modification. And it's not. That's a byproduct. That's the fruit of the relationship, not the root. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Father, we just thank you that you love us and that you have made provision, that you have forgiven us for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Father, help us to see if there be anything lacking in us, if there be any areas of pride. Pride is, is so tricky, Lord. It's, and the enemy is such a liar. And we can be deceived sometimes in areas of our lives and not even really be aware of it. Maybe our hearts have been hardened in that area towards you. Pride is like the layers of an onion, Lord. Help us to know if we are off course in any area of our lives. If we're walking in pride. And help us just surrender that to you. Help us to think of others more highly than ourselves. Help us to think of the sacrifice and the obedience that Jesus had and use Him as our example. If we want to compare ourselves to someone, let us compare ourselves to Jesus and see how we fall short. And then, therefore, let us stay humble, Lord. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for showing us the way. And we thank You for wisdom and guidance. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.